Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we will continue on in this series, God, Our Light and Life. The name of the sermon is What the World Needs Now is Gospel Shaped Love. Pastor David will be preaching from 1 John 3, 11 through 18. Let's join Pastor David now. Well, we are uh, continuing through 1 John. So if you have access to scripture, uh, please do meet me 1 John. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through 18. 1 John 3, 11 through 18. I'll be preaching from the English Standard Version. So if you have a copy on your phone or if you have a copy of Scripture, uh, that one will, will most align as, as we're reading through the passage today. 1 John chapter 3. Let me read this passage before we continue. 1 John 3. Verse 11 starts by saying this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers or brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? So little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed, in truth. Let me pray. Father, as, as we read and study your word, we ask that your word would read and study us. Lord, that we would come... Uh, under in, in submission, under your word and your will, that you would transform us in that process to make us look more and more and more like the Savior who saved us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. God's love through God's people will change the world. Do you believe that? Too sentimental? God's love through God's people will change the world? Or perhaps you might hear that sentence and say, ah, too ambitious. God's love through God's people will change the world? <laughs> Do we believe that? Do we believe that uh, soul deep? Do we believe that to the extent that it's shaping and changing our lives? Do we believe that to the extent that we, we enter every single week into our, into our workplace, uh, mingling amongst friends or classmates or, or neighbors? Do we believe that God's love through God's people will truly change the world? When you hear that, you might say, show me, prove it. How? What's that look like? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 18 shows us, and it starts in these first two verses by showing us that a, a gospel kind of love, gospel-shaped love, 
It restrains, it curbs, it undoes, it, it melts hatred inside of our own hearts. That's one of the implications of the gospel. It undoes and dismantles anger or hatred that exists inside of us. That's one of the implications of what God's love, as we've received it in Christ, as it takes root in our lives. That's one of the things that Christians, followers of Christ, look more and more and more like. It undoes our hatred. Look at what it says, verse 11 and 12. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And right out of this, right out of the gates, verse 11, love one another. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. We've heard this from the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was here on earth, his, his earthly uh, teaching and, and walk, and, and really his entire life. We've been called by our master, by our savior, by our Lord to love one another, our family members, our spouses, our children, our cousins and aunts and uncles or aunts and uncles, depending on where you're from, to love even our enemies, even those we disagree with. Love one another, Jesus says. And not only have we heard that message since the beginning of Jesus' earthly teaching when he was here on earth, we've also heard that since the beginning of the Bible itself. You go all the way back to the book of Leviticus, and you're going to find a message that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. And we see the ultimate example of that, certainly, and no surprise, in Christ. His entire life, his incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all of it is an expression of his love for the world, his love for you and his love for me. John chapter 15, some of you know this passage well. John 15 verses 12 and 13 says, Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Love one another. Sounds sentimental until Jesus finishes that sentence, just as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? He died for us. Every single aspect of his life was an aspect of a deeper and deeper and deeper step into humility, deeper into selflessness, deeper into giving of himself for your and my benefit, ultimately for our, our salvation. Love one another as I have loved you, so says our Savior. This is the ultimate example of love. And then 1 John 3 gives us the ultimate counterexample in Cain. Look at what again what it says, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And if Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, that he died for us, Cain is the ultimate counterexample, that he looked to his brother, his own brother, Abel, and instead of saying, I die for you, Cain says, you, you die for me. You die because of his, either his evil or his anger or his lack of faith. Look at what it says all the way back. It reminds us in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, we see the account that 1 John is speaking about. Genesis 4, uh, 6, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? In verse 8, it says that Cain spoke to Abel. This is his brother. 
And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And we see in the Gospel of John this example and counterexample, this ultimate example of love and the opposite of love, hate, murder, in Cain's example. And you might say, well, I mean, I've never murdered anyone. I mean, I've never taken someone's life. I haven't gone through on actually doing that. But we see God's word both in chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, anyone has ang even just anger in their heart. That's the, same heart. That's the same murderer's heart. And if God looks, not at the outward appearance, but if he looks at the heart, and he, as his word reads us, as his word examines us, we realize that God's standard is that even if we hate someone, even if we have anger at someone, it's as if we've actually gone through with the act of murder itself. And the more that we look at this example and counterexample of Christ and Cain, the more we realize we often, often, more than we want to admit, tip the scales more toward Cain. We see more of Cain in our hearts sometimes than we see Christ in our hearts and if you don't yet believe me, just do a spiritual inventory on the past three months. All the things that you have said, or all the things that you have posted, or all the things that you've kind of replayed in your heart and your mind, do a, do a spiritual test, do a spiritual anger test. What are the things that we have said that have come not from a heart of love, but from a heart of hatred, anger? Sometimes, sometimes we post things and we know it's going to be seen by the whole world, but really we want it to be seen by one or two people. Sometimes we say things and maybe the words that we said, if they're written down and we just read them, there's nothing wrong there, but there's knives in our eyes, right? And venom in our tone. Sometimes we leave a conversation. Ever done this? You're driving home and you're replaying the conversation. Oh man, I wish I would have said that. I wish I would have cut them down. That was my opportunity. Well, they're thinking, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and before you realize it, we're replaying it in mentally. We're tearing someone down. We're cutting them apart. We're, we're destroying them. We're undoing them. And this it all exists in our hearts. And you might say, take a spiritual inventory in the past three months. How about the past three days? And we see just how deeply rooted in our own hearts, more than we want to admit, we, we see Cain more than we would want. And the beauty of the gospel is as God's love take, takes root in our hearts, in our lives, the gospel melts that stuff away. The gospel undoes that. The gospel transforms our heart. That in salvation, we, are, we have a heart of stone. We're given a heart of flesh. That we are dead and we are brought back to life by grace. And in Christ, periodically, as we go through this Christian life, as we march through in this journey of sanctification, God making us look more and more like Christ, the gospel undoes hatred in our own hearts. That those who used to drive you up the wall, you start finding yourself having a heart of compassion for them. Those that the world says you ought to hate, you have a sense of compassion and love and care for them. And where does that come from? 
It comes from the Christ who resides in us, the one who died for us, goes into our hearts and transforms our hearts. And the gospel-shaped kind of love, it melts. It melts that hatred and anger. It, it melts the murderous heart that it resides in me and resides in you. That's one of the implications of the gospel. It's one of the hopes of the gospel, isn't it? That we see, and I can't wait until Christ returns and we are fully completed, fully finished. But it's an encouragement as we march through this life following Christ, seeking to be more like him, the gospel undoes the brokenness that exists inside of me. But not only does gospel-shaped love destroy or reduce or melt away hatred inside of us, a gospel-shaped kind of love also isn't shocked, is not surprised, is not rattled or derailed or discouraged all the way to the point of despair by hatred that exists outside of us. That we all have seen throughout this season, and this is, this, is, this is as old as Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis. All throughout human history, we have seen, we humanity, we Christians have seen various ways that humanity has just undone each other. Wars and hatred and famine and injustice and all of these things wrapped up. We can look through the pages of history and see all sorts of examples where we've seen darkness advance, evil advance, and a gospel-shaped kind of love isn't shocked, sobered by that, absolutely. Broken-hearted about that, absolutely. Saddened by that, yes, but shocked, derailed. Discouraged to the point of utter and utter and utter despair. Discouraged to the point of needing to throw, into the throw in the towel. No, gospel-shaped love isn't surprised by hatred and evil outside of us. Look at, look at what it says, verses 13, 14, and 15. Right out of verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And we see once again all throughout the, this letter of First John, again, these dualities, right? Darkness and light, death and life, Cain and Christ, hate and love. And we see, again, in these verses that we have been transferred. We have been brought from one kingdom to another. And we see that in the gospel, we are moved from darkness into light. We are moved from hatred into love. And this is what God has done in our life. And when, when we seek as Christians, as believers, to live out the full implications of the gospel in our lives when we take the implications of the gospel of grace and start applying it to every single corner of your life, your work, your family, uh, your vocation, uh, um, how you sort out uh, global events, how you navigate how, how to care and love for your neighbor, when we start to live out the full implications of the gospel, and when we start to live under the lordship of Christ, if we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, we got a different boss. We have a different king. When, when God says march, we march. When the world gives commands, we're no longer answering to our former king. We're no longer answering to that which has been crucified with Christ. 
We were once enslaved, dead, following the prince of the power of the air. We were members of the kingdom of, of, of Satan, of the devil. You think that's dramatic? Well, look at what it's saying. That we've passed out of death into life. And once, dear Christian, don't be surprised when this happens. Once you start to obey the commands of your king, the commands of Christ, do not be shocked when the world hates you. Don't be shocked when you get pushed back. Don't be surprised when you seek to advance the gospel and you run into defense. Don't be surprised when, when, when you bump into people and, and they are mad at you. And they might not be able to articulate why, but you know, it's because I'm trying to live out the implications of the gospel. It's because I'm trying to live a faithful Christian life in a post-Christian world. Here's some examples. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when you express a heart of sympathy or care or brokenness for the poor. Don't be surprised when not only you express sympathy for the poor, but you also start encouraging others to care for the poor in the variety of ways we can do that. Don't be shocked when you face pushback. And I'm not talking about the kind of pushback that's a topic simply stated but incredibly complex. I'm not going to paint this topic as if it's simplistic. I'm not talking about the kind of dialogue, respectful, thoughtful dialogue that asks the question, what is the wisest way to care for the poor? What a massive question. I'm talking about just open pushback, anger, frustration, hatred. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. That's one example. Here's another example. Do not be surprised if you are sympathetic or you're heartbroken or you're seeking to live out a life of, of reconciliation amidst a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic world. Don't be surprised when you're brokenhearted over, over one of the ways that brokenness uh, manifests itself in this world is tension across ethnic boundaries, across ethnic categories. And when you're brokenhearted over that, and when you're seeking to be a source of reconciliation and love and compassion and grace, do not be shocked when you face pushback. You will face pushback. People will get mad at you. Uh, people will hate you. And God's word says, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be caught off guard. Uh, one of the ways that we aren't shocked by it is that we know it's coming, <laughs> It's one thing to take one on the chin. It's a whole other thing to not see it coming. Do not be surprised. Care for the poor. Sympathy and, and compassion and a desire to be a reconciling agent amidst a, a, a divided world in terms of uh, a multi-ethnic, multicultural world. Here's another example, number three. Do not be shocked and do not be surprised when you refuse to polarize. Are you with me? We live in a highly polarized cultural moment. You're either all the way on one side or you're all the way on the other. And when you are seeking to be a, 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 a source of peace, a source of reason, a source of calm, a source of love, when you're seeking to listen, when you're seeking to, to not engage in the, in the polarization and then the demonization of one side or the other, don't be surprised when you face pushback on both sides. 
Because there's a kind of pushback that comes. The world is going to say, hey, you're not polarized enough. So we're going to give you pushback on one side. And then on the other side, you're going to get pushback over here. And because you are trying to live out the implications of the gospel, the implications of Christ as your Lord. You're not going to fit, dear brother and sister in Christ, into the categories that the world gives you. You're of a different kingdom. You have a different king. We follow a different Lord, a different master. So do not be shocked when you get pushback. Two more examples. Do not be surprised when you seek to live under the lordship of Christ and you seek to do what God has told you to do. And one of the ways that that manifests itself is staying faithful to, uh, to a, a biblical understanding of marriage and personhood. Don't be surprised when you get pushback for that. Don't be shocked. Here's one more example of, of five brief examples. Do not be surprised. Do not be shocked when you take a comprehensive, comprehensive, did I mention comprehensive, stand for life. Do not be shocked when you face pushback for that. Because when we seek to live as followers of Jesus Christ, as light, not because we're so great, but because he's so great and he is in us. And if he is the light and we abide in him, then we will be light in a dark world. Do not be surprised when the world hates you, when you're misunderstood, when you're mocked, when you're kind of belittled. And these are mild examples. I know many of you have been in all sorts of different corners of the world where the pushback, the hatred, is much, much more than just, you know, social uncomfortability. It might cost Christians their life. John says, don't be surprised. Do not be shocked. And I know I'm speaking in this context largely to, to uh, Westerners, Largely to us in an American context. May I be Captain Obvious for, for one, one or two sentences? We are living in a post-Christian world. Post-Christian. Not pre-Christian in the sense of we're coming to a culture. that We're in a mission field. Not, not pre-Christian in the sense we're coming to a culture and introducing Christ. We, oh, I've, I've never heard of that name before. Post-Christian in such a way that there are aspects, there are dynamics, there are vestiges of, of uh, biblical principles that are ingrained into Western society just by the nature of where we're coming in world history. And in the Western world, we're coming to a place where the world is increasingly going to want to reject the king, but they're going to want what the kingdom offers. They're going to reject the Christ of Christianity, but they're going to want what Christianity offers. This world needs something to reconcile divided people. This world needs something to answer the questions of death and evil and suffering. This world needs something that's going to make everything that is wrong right. Dear brother and sister in Christ, we have that in the gospel. We have that in Christ. And more and more and more, we're already in it, but more and more and more, you are going to realize that the world is going to want to keep the meat and spit out the bones. And the meat being the implications of the gospel, the bones being the person of the gospel, Jesus Christ. So how are we going to navigate being a faithful witness 
to our king, being a faithful witness to Christ amidst a post-Christian world. That's a massive topic for books and series uh, to come um, in, in future months and years and, and as we navigate this season. But at least I want to say two things. If we're living in a post-Christian world, I believe we are, then dear Christians, we got to do two things and we got to do them well and we've got to stay faithful to them. Number one, do not try to advance the gospel by grasping for influence and power and control. We are not going to see the gospel advance. We are not going to see the kingdom of advance by grasping at influence we thought we may or may not have ever had. Do not grasp at influence, number one. Number two, do not compromise truth. The ball of the gospel is not going to move forward by compromising the gospel this is what the world needs. The world needs a truth and reality. It needs something to go down to the hearts of all humanity that says, I die for you, not you die for me. Ever heard of that before? Ever heard someone say those words before? We cannot grasp for influence or power as if we were going to outpower darkness. We cannot compromise truth as if it's going to be easier to digest for darkness. We need to stay faithful to both. Stay faithful to Christ. Stay faithful to his word. And love others. And this is the upside down nature of the kingdom. <laughs> if you want to advance the gospel, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls someone, he bids them to come and die. You want to see true life advance through your circles, then you have to die to self. You want to see someone else flourish, then we've got to die to self. We want to see the good news advance, we've got to die to self in loving, compassionate, gospel-shaped service for others. So gospel-shaped love, both, it, it, it melts and curbs and undoes hatred inside of us, number one. Number two, gospel-shaped love it's not surprised, it's not shocked by hatred outside of us. And that's what's going to help you, dear Christian, to not be so disoriented as you're seeking to be a faithful Christian witness. Don't be shocked, don't be surprised. We're in a war, a spiritual battle in which we are seeking God through us to advance his good news, his kingdom. Don't be shocked, don't be surprised. Number three, gospel-shaped love lays down its life for those around us destroys hate within us, not shocked by hate outside of us, but rather, number three, it lays down its life for those around us, your friends, your family, your neighbors, wives for your husbands, husbands for your wives, parents for your children, neighbors for each other. We lay down our life for each other because that's what Christ has done for us. Verses 16, 17, and 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, the world's stuff, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And we see in these verses, again, this idea of laying down our life for others. That's what gospel-shaped kind of love is. It's taking all that we have, all that is 
at our fingertips, all your skills, all your resources, all, all of your expertise, your career, your stuff, TV cars, homes, stuff, and using it not to serve self, but to serve others. Not surrounding all these things, piling up them for, for, for my benefit, for the benefit of someone else. It's the self-sacrificial, Christ-like, cross-like giving of self to meet the life-giving needs of someone else. If someone's around me and they have a need, a life-giving need, for me to supply that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be life-taking in a small degree, isn't it? If I'm going to give someone the goods of this world, money, for example, if I give someone a portion of my money, that's dying to myself, that's taking of myself and giving to someone else that they might flourish, that they might grow. That's one small example. And we see again that ultimate example in Christ. We have eternal life. Do you know what it cost? The death of Jesus himself. We have an inheritance set aside in heaven. You know what it cost? Christ giving up his heavenly inheritance for us. We have a way through death into life. It took Christ going into death that when we self-sacrifice to meet the life-giving needs of others, we are loving like we have been loved. And definitely understand that when God's Word talks about love, especially in this portion of Scripture, Loving someone else is not a categorical kind of blind endorsement of someone else, no matter what they do, say, or believe, or decide. We're not endorsing others. Love is also not even primarily uh, a feeling for others. It's kind of a shocker in some ways, isn't it? Often, feelings come after or in the action of loving someone else, but it's not even necessarily a feeling for someone else, no matter what they do, say, or decide Love primarily is the self-sacrificial service to anyone, regardless of what they do, say, or decide. John chapter 3.16. Many of you are saying it in your minds right now, right? For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave of himself willingly. He gave his son willingly. God the son gave himself willingly. He did not come to be served, but to serve if you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. He gave his son for us that we might have eternal life. And that is God's love seen in the message of the gospel. John chapter 3, 16. 1 John chapter 3, 16. It's another John 3, 16 to put to memory. 1 John 3, 16 is God's love through God's people as a result of the gospel. John 3.16, God's love for God's people in the message of the gospel. 1 John 3.16, God's love through God's people as a result of the gospel. Look at what it says. By this we know... Um, oh, sorry, I jumped down to 19. 16. By this we know love, <laughs> that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the logic if we follow a Savior who died serving others, do you know, what's, you know what his followers are going to start looking like? <laughs> little Christs. That's what Christian means. Little Christs dying to serve others. We're, we're going to look like our Savior. We're going to look like our Lord. We're going to look like Christ. And I want to even just briefly um, draw attention to and honor a, 
a, a big chunk, a category of, I know people in our fellowship who by the nature of your work and your profession, you, you, you are confronted with this concept every single day you go to work. Especially over these past 12 months, you know, we're in March 2021. Can you imagine all that's happened since March 2020? Feels like a decade ago, doesn't it? And I know that we have many people in our fellowship, many people in our family of faith who are serving in the military, either past or present, in all of its variety of branches. I know people in our fellowship that are serving as either firefighters or police officers, people in our fellowship who are serving in, in the medical universe and all the different facets that that provides. And I want to just, and I, it's always a danger whenever you start to list something. I'm sure I'm going to miss someone. Don't read, if I missed, don't read anything into that. My point is this. I just want to briefly honor as we're coming up on an entire 12 months of this wild and crazy season, those of you who are working and serving in those vocations, every single day you know what it means to go to work, to lay down your life, to serve others. That many of you, especially in this COVID season, might be going to work at the risk, at the risk of your life. And that's not, just, that's not just rhetorical flourish, isn't it? That's a reality in this season. You are going to potentially risk your life to serve others. And there are sobering and even tragic examples where that might even be true, that you will give your life to serve others. And can I just speak a word of encouragement and to honor you in those moments? You are a small image of Christ when you do that. When you give of yourself to serve someone else, and this is not just reserved for extraordinary examples, right? This is the everyday. Maybe you don't work in any of those categories that I just listed. This is for all of us. This is the ordinary day-to-day -day examples of laying down my preferences to meet the preference of someone else. Laying down my desires to meet the desires of someone else. Laying down my skills or stuff to help someone else. That's loving like we have been loved. And to the extent, to the extent that we see and appreciate that God is the owner and giver of all things. I'm talking stuff. Your car, your TV, your job, your property, your paycheck. To the extent that you see that it is God that owns that things and he's lending them to you to steward to the extent that you see, see that to be true will be the, to the extent that you give generously. And this is a convicting one, I think, uniquely for Westerners, I think uniquely for Americans. We just kind of don't believe that. We just kind of don't really believe it's all really God's and it's just lended to us. We kind of don't like that. It gets under our skin. We say, hey, I, I, I worked hard for that. What do you mean it's not mine? What do you mean it's owned by God? What do you mean it's just lended to me, stewarded by me? <laughs> Which one of us decides to take the next breath that we take? Which one of us decided? Uh, which one of us worked our way into the God-given skills and abilities and talents that you have? Which one of us orchestrated every single open door in our lives? You start to look back on our lives and we start to realize, yeah, every good and perfect gift truly does come from the Father of lights. To the extent that we see that he owns it, we steward it, 
is to the extent that we will be generous with our skills and with our stuff. And to the extent that we see that Christ willingly went to the cross, that Christ wanted to lay down his life to serve others, is to the extent that you and I will willingly die to self. And when you start doing this, watch out, dear brother and sister in Christ, you're going to get addicted to it. There's something beautiful. There's something ironically life-giving. The more you give of yourself, every single missions trip, either I have been on it or have other people gone, remember, we always get this testimony. I sought to go and be a help to others. I came home, and I felt like I was the one being blessed. I was trying to give of myself, and I almost feel, I'm almost this sense of, is this wrong to feel so poured into, so blessed in this process of pouring out? That's the kingdom. That's what the gospel does in our hearts. That's what the gospel does in our, in our lives. Because 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, this is what it's telling us. Gospel-shaped love does not say, you die for me. It says, I die for you. That's what this passage is saying. That's the kind of love of the gospel. It's not you die for me. It's I die for you. And if that is true, God's love through God's people will change the world. And if it's still too sentimental, we may not yet fully appreciate the power of God's love. And if you still think that's too ambitious you may not yet fully appreciate the power of God. Friends, beloved brothers and sisters, love one another. Love as you have been loved. You will be asked to give more than you can imagine. And you will be filled more than you can imagine. So love like you've been loved. And just watch. And see what God does. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you, through us, would turn the world upside down. Uh, Father, we ask that because you have loved us first, that we would love one another. And Lord, I pray that, that this would be a truth, this would be a reality, this would be a message that we don't just think about, that we wouldn't love just in, in word or thought, but indeed in truth. God, give us the courage. And even as I pray this, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. We offer in some ways a prayer of repentance for the times that we haven't done this when, Father, we have had the world's goods and we've closed our hearts. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us and find in us repentant hearts, open hearts, available hearts to see you transform our circles, transform our families, our lives, because you first loved us. So, Father, may this be true, and may many more come to Christ, and may your kingdom be seen here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.